Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, September 4th, 2022. Today's sermon, The Lord's Supper, a beautiful picture of unity. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Today we're going to be veering off of Hebrews to just focus on the Lord's Supper today as we take the Lord's Supper together. And I've preached a version of this years ago, but if you, if you would, go ahead and turn in, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And at the end of our time as well, we will be reading our church covenant together um, as we think about how we live together. But 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll, I'll read that a little bit later, so we're not going to read anything there. That's just Paul's version there of what happened and as the Lord's Supper is instituted. But today's topic, before I pray, is just when we take the Lord's Supper, really, as Christians, besides the unity that comes, it's very mystical, but through the unity of the Holy Spirit, as all of God's people throughout the world are united together in Christ, there's really nothing that we do that, that pictures and dramatizes and shows our unity as a local body, um, as we then 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 the Lord's Supper. So today I want to focus on just a couple of things about unity, and uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. But before we do, let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this this Sunday morning when we gather and we remember our Lord's death even as we take the Lord's Supper which is our custom that we do every month on the first Sunday the first meeting time of the week pray today that he would increase that I that we would decrease father work through me a sinful man who is covered by the blood of Christ give us all grace this morning as we think about unity and as we remember um, the death of our Lord Jesus. Pray that if there are non-Christians here that they, this would be understood and your Holy Spirit would drive home in their hearts and their minds that this is what is true and this is what they need and this is what they want. And for Christians, pray that our faith would be strengthened today as we partake. Father, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many things in the world that picture unity. When we think about a flag that, that, that our country has, it's just a picture of unity. Or think of the armies and companies, each with their own songs or their own banners or their own flags. I, I think about the unity candle at a wedding when you, when, you, when you bring the two together and you have the one candle. Or my wedding ring that pictures the unity of me and me and Kristen. There are many things that uh, we use or do to unite people in this world. But for the Christian, baptism and the Lord's Supper are our two main primary ordinances. And there's nothing that unifies and pictures the unity of the Christian church than the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. And out of everything that we do, 
I think this is what most, one of the things that most visibly makes us a community. And the truths that are revealed in this ordinance are deep and mysterious, as deep and mysterious as the Godhead. But the one truth that I want to consider this morning is, is that of unity. So I have two, two truths, okay, that when we take the Lord's Supper this morning that show we are unified. The first one is the Lord's Supper unites in doctrine. There's something that we believe about that this brings out in doctrine. It's very simple. The second truth is I want to emphasize the Lord's Supper unites us together in the way we love one another. And in, in the, at the end, we're going to read our covenant at that point as well. But first truth, the Lord's Supper unites God's people in doctrine. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we say to the world, this is what I believe. This is where I stand. And so as we, as Christians, and this, I'm, I'm preaching to Christians now, okay? I don't presume that everyone in here is a Christian, but I'm preaching to Christians now. As we eat and as we drink the bread and the juice, it reveals the core of our belief system. So I get these from Jesus' words when he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then this cup is the new covenant in my blood, as often as you drink it, remember me. So those words represent everything the, the Bible teaches, particularly about what Christ has come to do in establishing this new covenant that we've been just talking about lots, week after week, it seems like, in Hebrews right now. And yes, there is a particular emphasis on the broken body, on the death, because he says, this is my body broken for you. But we can't just preach and teach the, the, the death of Christ without preaching and teaching everything else that comes along with that. Everything the Word of God tells us about what we would call as Christians the gospel, the good news. And so we can't say everything about everything the Lord Jesus did because John 21, 25 says, the world itself could not contain all the books that are written about him. However, though, when we remember the cross, we remember his body, we remember who he is. And we learn that he, is all, he has always existed. We get that from the first chapter of Hebrews. I could read Colossians 1, verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what we know and what we see and can say about God, what we say about God, we can say the same thing about the Son. We know that He existed before the incarnation, before creation, before anything we know about God. And there He was, the Son, eternal, alongside this great mysterious concept truth that we call the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there together as one. And so the Lord Jesus in that way has been around for way before eternity, as far as we know. And so we must remember lots of things, but we also remember as we think about just moving out from, from just these things, we think about His birth. His birth was long prophesied. Let me read Isaiah 9. 
verses 1 and 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. So when we look at the cross, we remember the incarnation. We think of some words in Philippians. Paul says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to or, or grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we remember his birth, but then we move over into his his life as he does move. At the end of the day, Jesus came here to this earth to do what? Well, he came to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father included the laying down of his life. And so we remember his birth, but we also remember his life. What was he like? He was without sin. He came to do God's will, and in this, he had to be without sin. Very, very, we've been reading so much about this in, in, in Hebrews through the past few, few weeks, but... Jesus was, he wasn't just, as we, as we think about sin, we just think about oftentimes just sins that we commit, our anger or our impatience or our lashing out with someone or, you know, just the, the breaking of, of the commandments of God, you know, murder or, or, or stealing something. But we often miss the heart. Jesus, he... He obeyed the law of God completely in every single way, but he did it not just in his outward actions. He did it in his heart in every single way. He was fully man. He was fully God. And when we think about him being fully God and fully man, these two natures in one person, we have the most mysterious thought that I could ever think or imagine, but that caused his sacrifice to be one of infinite value as he laid down his life. Wow. One person, two natures. I can't, I can't even fathom this. So when Jesus laid down his life as, a, as the sinless Son of God, we have the most beautiful, infinite, holy, perfect sacrifice. And we know this because what happened? God accepted that sacrifice And then we'll come to the resurrection in a moment. But for those who trust in Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, taking the Lord's Supper, if you've trusted in Him this morning, all of the wrath and the judgment and the anger that your sins deserve and my sins deserve fell upon Christ on the cross. So all of God's wrath and all of His judgment came down upon that, as Hebrews, as we've been going over and over, that one time Sacrifice, that which the blood of bulls and goats could not do. And now our conscience is not guilty anymore. Our sins are thrown away as far as the east is 
from the West, and now we have been reconciled, reconciled and we have peace with God. And so that is why we remember His life and we remember His death. But we cannot stop there. So, and, and again, thinking back to my truth, what unites us in doctrine? We're starting with His death, but we're just, I'm just bringing everything in very simply that is the gospel. We cannot stop with His death because we remember that He did not stay dead. He rose from the dead by His own power. And in the power of the resurrection, we have life. This is where our life comes from. The power of the resurrection of Christ. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that changes us, which means by application, we as Christians need the power of Christ every day to be godly and to live in this world in such a way that is different from the world. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power one day that will raise us from the dead. And it is the same power that works in us, again, every day in the process of sanctification. But we cannot stop with just His resurrection either. What happened after the resurrection? What happened after 40 days that He spent there with His disciples? What did He do? He ascended back to the Father where He sits now. Hebrews 1. After making purification for sins, He ascended back to glory, back to the right hand of the Father where He now sits. And then... After that, he poured out his Holy Spirit in a way unmatched in the Old Testament, ushering in a new covenant. And so in a moment when we say, this, is, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, we remember this. And now, as our great high priest, Christ is interceding for you. So we don't have to go to a priest as our Catholics, Catholic friends and neighbors do. Our priest is sitting at the right hand of God. He is our great high priest now and he is interceding that's why romans paul could say in romans 8 there is therefore now no condemnation till he comes excuse me no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus and one other thing i want to point out when we take the lord's supper in those words the very very end he says remember these things until when till he comes so we were just in hebrews a couple weeks ago, we were talking about he dealt with sin in that first coming. Second coming, he's not going to deal with sin anymore. He's just going to come back. And so, until that time, what do we do? We take the Lord's Supper regularly till he comes. This means there will be an end to the Lord's Supper because one day we will be taking the Lord's Supper at the great feast with God forever. This will be no more. So with these things in mind, when we think about the death of Christ, we got to go to all of these things. And these, just taking the Lord's Supper should make us think of all these things and unite us because we're the only ones in the world that think like this. So these things, these are the things of the gospel. So when you come in a few minutes and you take the Lord's Supper, what you're saying to, to yourself, to one another, to the world, you're saying these are the things that Pastor John just briefly went through. We are united in these things. Here I stand. This is what I believe. And I believe the Lord Jesus died for my sins. That's what we do when we take the Lord's Supper. Quick application. 
This means that as a church, we must always be clear on what the gospel is. And it's very important for us to know the things that I just shared, but to go deeper. But we'll never, it's, the gospel is always so simple, but yet there's so much, so much. But we, as we take the Lord's Supper today, we hold on to the gospel. We must be clear. And so that's one of the reasons we have a confession. It's one of the reasons I think Paul says to the Galatians, you must hold on to the gospel. If somebody else comes and preaches another gospel than what I've taught to you, let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. If a church lets go of the gospel, maybe, and it never happens quickly, maybe it happens as you stop believing part of the word, or sin takes hold, or, or we, lots of things could happen in a church. But when a church starts to lose the gospel, then, and the gospel doesn't become clear, then, then the, that place will cease to be a church, at least a real church. There, because what happens when churches do that? As we've seen, as we look around us, when a church leaves the gospel, there's true Christians in the church, what do they end up doing at some point? They end up just leaving because they're not getting the gospel. And that's one of the reasons that we as a church take membership so seriously. At the beginning, even as, we, even as we're doing membership class or All About Grace class with, with, <clears throat> with the Likens and, and, and the Wardens, we look at the front door of the church and we take it very seriously because we want to, to know that those who are coming in are really Christians. That, and then, then we hold on to the gospel, we believe, in a, in a more clear and precise way as we go forward. So we must be clear on the gospel. Another application. Taking the Lord's Supper and remembering these things must compel us to study the Word of God more. The more we know, the more we understand about Christ, who He is, what he has done, then the more the Holy Spirit will bring comfort to your life. So if, this is so important. How, how are you doing in your, in your Bible reading times? I asked this last week. How are you doing getting into the Word and just thinking about such simple truths and asking yourself, where do I see Christ in the Old Testament in the New? Where do I see the Gospel? So as we take the Lord's Supper and we remember these things about, about doctrine, we should be able to, to go deeply. And, and so I'm urging you to do that. And also, the more we understand, the deeper we go into the gospel, even though it's simple, the more we're able to give out when we go out into this world and explain the gospel at our <clears throat> if we're meeting with our family, we're going to work, we're having conversations, or we're having meetings or we're going out on the street to share with people, we will at least be able to say certain things about the gospel. And let me say one thing, too. It, a lot of people say, well, I don't, I don't share the gospel because I don't feel like I, I know how. Well, I, I think mo I'm looking at most of you folks here and, and us together. We understand the gospel, brothers and sisters. We should be able to, to at least say something. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And someone might say, well, what does that mean? Then we have a perfect opportunity to say, well, we take the Lord's Supper together. And here's what this means. We, we remember his death. And, and, and for those who trust in him and his death and his sacrifice, then God will take away. He's put his sin, those sins upon him. And if you trust in him, your sins will be taken away. But you can come at it from lots of different angles. So I would urge you to study 
and to go deeply into the gospel. Well, that, I could say a lot more there, but that's as we take the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper unites us in these, this doctrine of the gospel and these doctrines that come along with that. The second thing, though, is the Lord's Supper unites us in love. This is a communal thing. We do it together. The context is the local body. We're not taking the Lord's Supper with millions of Christians all over the world. We're doing it right here this morning together. And so, <clears throat> practically, we work out this unity of love here. We do that here. According to one theologian, he says, I love this statement, the Lord's Supper is ground zero for learning how to love. We must remember that the Lord's Supper is a communal ordinance. This means we take the Lord's Supper together. In the New Testament, it's often called a love feast. So as we remember the greatest act of love, because when we think about this, this is my body broken for you, we think about the love of God. We think about the love of Christ. And there's our vertical. But the horizontal is we picture how we, when we do this together, how we love one another. And again, I, I've said this often, but when you come to church, and I will urge, I'll keep saying this, and you come to church next week in this particular setting, I know we have home groups and other meetings, but you should come here, and one of the things you should be saying is, how can I love the person next to me? How can I love John, who is preaching? How can I love McCamey and Caleb in the back? How can I love those who are beside me? And then the next question would be, well, how can I serve that person? How can I help? And it changes when we come, so many people would just come to church. They want to come in. Let's hear a good sermon. And let's just get what we can get from my soul. Now, we will, Lord willing, every week you'll get something for your soul. But that'll, that'll come. You don't have to ask for that. But we should be asking for that as well. But our focus should certainly be, how can I, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I love? And I think we, we just tend to be so individualistic and very selfish about church. And it's just an, another thing that we do, in, maybe not here, but in many places. And so I hope that we would never do that. But for Paul, the Lord's Supper is a test case of love. And so if you think about 1 Corinthians, which is where we're going to read in a moment, in the midst of all the problems, they had pride, they had celebrity worship. Some were following Paul and some Apollos. And, 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 and so they were, they were misusing spiritual gifts. There was lots of sexual immorality. All kinds of things. In the midst of all of that, still, he was saying, you're not, you're not loving one another. You're sinning greatly. The absence of love for one another. If we think of the context, and if you would, go ahead and if I haven't had you turn there already, 1 Corinthians 11, think about the context. Paul rebukes those at Corinth because of the way they were practicing the Lord's Supper. And he ultimately rebukes their heart for a lack of love. Look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not 
for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, he says, I hear there are divisions. Verse 19, there are factions. Verse 20, he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. So they were actually taking the Lord's Supper. And Paul's saying, because of your hearts, what you're doing isn't even the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine that? Verses 21 and 22. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? And it's an exclamation point there. Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 27, he says some are eating in an unworthy manner. They're guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And those who do so in verse 29 drinks judgment on himself. Verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. Wow, that is a lot. Now, concerning doctrine and their understanding of the gospel, I think they were, they were pretty unified. However, in the way they loved one another, they were not unified. And this is clear in the way they observed the Lord's Supper. The congregation was made up of Jews and Greeks, of men and of women, of different ethnicities. There was different colors of folks. There was rich and poor. There was slave and slave owner, which was probably the biggest difficulty to overcome, taking the Lord's Supper together, because the slaves were supposed to do what? Serve their masters. And so when they came together as the Lord's Supper, all of a sudden you've got slaves and owners on the same plane. So I imagine, too, that what was happening there, I, we don't know the, the, all of the context, but the rich were coming together, eating in someone's home, having church there, taking the Lord's Supper the way they did, because we don't do it like they do it. We have a little different context, though the principles are the same. They were coming together, and they were, I, I imagine, sitting down there together, and the rich, particularly, were taking the Lord's Supper, taking the bread, and they were opening it up, eating the bread, and then going on with the meal. And then at the end, maybe some of the slaves and others who were waiting out in the porch somewhere to come in came in and got what was left. And we don't know for sure, but then they would do the, the end where this is this cup. They would end the meal with this cup, this new covenant in my blood, as often as you drink it, remember me. And then they would do that. And I think they did that on a regular basis when they came together. We don't have that context because here we are sitting in chairs. We do it regularly though and we do it the first of the month. We could do it differently, but the principle is still the same. So that means if you're here and you've got something against a brother or sister or you are doing something against a brother or a sister or you've got something in your heart against a brother or sister or you're questioning someone's motive against a brother or whatever it might be, then we show our love by, by getting things right. We should. And so there is that, that, that aspect. Now, that doesn't mean that you just, in order to take the Lord's Supper necessarily, you get things right. Because if you are a Christian today, then you're covered by all the blood of Jesus. And you are worthy to take the Lord's Supper, for sure. But the principle behind this is love for one another. And so we should, this should be a time of thinking, how am I doing in serving and loving 
my brother or my sister in the body here at Grace. And so I'm just going to, in a moment, I'm going to have Caleb pull up our covenant. And we're going to read through that. But I, at the end of 1 Corinthians, particularly chapter 13, Paul says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove all mountains. I imagine he would say, if I get all the cross the T's and dot the I's in the doctrine of the gospel, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So as we bring this to a close and read our covenant here in just a moment, how are we doing when we come to the service in the way that when we take the Lord's Supper? Is it a love feast for us? How are we doing in our own hearts? What about when we meet in our home groups? How are we doing there? Are we looking to to help someone else, to love someone else, to, to, to pray with someone else, to help someone else through another problem or an issue. We, we've all got our issues, brothers and sisters. We know that. Um, but that's all right. <laughs> we, that's okay. We are to, I mean, you think about Christ who came those years on the earth. He was always, I mean, Philippians 2, just right there gives us our example. You know, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So how are we doing in those times? How are we doing in our meetings? How are we doing when we gather together at other times? Just even for leisure or, or, or for entertainment. How are we doing in these ways? Because if we are not loving one another, um, then according to this principle, then we, we, we may have missed it all together and have missed it all together. So with that in mind, Caleb, if you want to pull up our our church covenant. We haven't read it in a while. So we're not going to read it together, but I'm just going to read through it and you can listen. And I may make a few comments as we go along. But our covenant, if you're visiting with us today, we have a church covenant. And we actually, in order to become a member of Grace, you have to sign the church covenant. Um, but we, ha we have a confession which says this is what we believe according to the Bible. And then we have a covenant. This is how we live together. This is how we love one another right here. And all of everything that I'm going to read comes from mostly from all the one another's, particularly in the New Testament. But let me read and I'll make a few comments as I go. Having been brought by divine grace, see our covenant begins with that, that it is God who moves in our hearts. And so we give him the glory for our salvation. But having been brought by divine grace, to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
we joyfully and with the utmost seriousness now enter into covenant with one another as one body of Christ. I often think, how do we do with utmost seriousness in joining together to live this way? We acknowledge our dependence upon God and the Bible. We constantly need the assistance of the Holy Spirit, especially in fulfilling this covenant. We don't presume that, that we do this on our own. Jesus says, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Then he said, and then our, our covenant says, Now therefore, in the presence of God and by his great grace, we commit ourselves to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We will walk together in Christian love, which is what we've been talking about today, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will pray for one another. How are we doing there? I must confess my own sin that I do not pray enough for you all. I do, but I should and I must pray. And I think I could speak for our elders as well. But how are we doing? How are we praying? And I think, I know we do that in our home groups. and We should focus on that even more than we do. But how, and some groups do it better than others. But how are we doing? Praying for one another. We will pray for one another and serve one another. How are we doing when those meals come out? When they're put online and we get, oh, get them. How many of us are quick to jump on them and not leave the deacon's wives to do it first? How many of us do that? Just, just a thought for, for, for thinking through. But how are we serving one another? Giving preference to one another in honor. Seek after that which is good for one another. We will bear one another's burdens in all humility and accept one another as the Lord has accepted us. We will affectionately care for, watch over, faithfully admonish one another as God gives us an opportunity. Probably one of the most difficult things in our culture to me personally and to us, I think, is we, we just tend to be, yeah, God is a God of grace. He's overlooked my sins. I see you're struggling with that sin. God is a God of grace. And that is so true. But how often are we then admonishing one another to cut the right hand or the left hand off or the eye if it is causing us to stumble? How often do we speak the truth in love one, one to another when we meet together to help one another along towards godliness? How do we do that? and admonishing one, one another. I think, it, I, I find it hard in our culture because I'm speaking for myself because I so often just want the peace so I don't say anything. Well, sometimes that's actually worse than the alternative. But how are we doing there? Next thing we read, we will strive to live as Christ in the world, denying ungodliness, and worldly lusts, we will seek to fulfill our calling to lead a holy life, to be salt and light, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will guard our tongues, not speaking evil or complaining against one another. 
How have we done this week in our complaining or questioning someone else's motives? Not necessarily specifically here in the body, but the driver over that you don't even know or the politician that you maybe think you do know. How often do we grumble and complain about the things that are going on in this world? And here, avoiding all gossip, not lying to one another, but instead speaking words that admonish one another. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Faithfully attend the church's meetings for corporate worship, for prayer, for study, fellowship, and we will use our spiritual gifts for the common good. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will faithfully participate in the ordinances of the church. That would be, of course, baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. And I would argue there, there, there are a lot more. There are minor ones, but there are a lot more in the Scriptures. But those in particular. An endeavor after unity of mind in doctrine. We will both submit to the church's discipline upon ourselves and lovingly assume our responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture. We will abstain from all practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own faith or the faith of others. I know that this is mostly talking about substances, but implied in this certainly, how are we doing when we turn on our phones at night when we are alone? Or how are you doing when you turn on your computer or your laptop or your tablet in the times that you are alone? How are, you, how are we doing? How are we doing? I, uh, there, there are lots I could say, and I won't say as much in this mixed community there, but how, you know what I'm talking about. How are we doing? I think with certain things we need to be ready to Cut off our hand if it's causing us to sin. We should do that or put out one of our eyes. Not literally, but you get the principle. Do whatever it takes that I might be godly, that you might be godly. And to do that together. And here's one that I just confess with the Sheryl family right now has not been very good. And it was, has been, in all honesty, looking back, was very regularly very regular for our family and family worship. But as they get older and off they go, here and there, moving, it's, it's easy when, when you have young kids, parents. It's, it's not hard at all. But when they get older, and so I, I think that, that we should be, Kristen and I should be spending more time um, regularly doing that, even when our kids are gone. And those of, who are older than me and Kristen doing the same kind of thing. But how are we doing? in our family worship, particularly, I know the emphasis is on those who have kids, but how are we doing in that, parents, um, with our kids? Let me just say, there will be great benefits down the road from, maybe it's not every day, but regular family worship. And, and I, I often say this, our kids might not necessarily get what we teach week after week, and we're trying to teach it with all our heart, all our mind, our soul, our strength, and you know, man, I'm just not getting it. You know what they're going to get? Mom and Daddy gathered us. That, they'll get that. 
and they'll know that that's what's important. And then they'll seek those things, and then those things will come back to mind. But how are we doing? We'll practice personal family worship, train our children. Again, there's the context. Children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, Next, we will be witnesses for Christ. Seeking the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, and all the world. How are we doing there? When's the last time you actually shared the gospel with a co-worker or a friend or a neighbor in our day-to-day activities? Just a question that we should ask ourselves. Finally, at the end, we will, when we move from this place, this is saying you, you move away for some reason from grace or whatever, soon as possible, unite with another church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. These are the ways that we love one another and we care for one another. And so I wanted to read that and we'll do that again in a few months and we'll read it together. But how are we doing? In these things. And if you're like me, you're going, wow, I've missed it. I've missed it there. I've missed it there. But at the end of the day, what are the characteristics of a Christian? Is a person who is repentant and has faith. So someone who says, I'm a sinner and I'm a great sinner. And yes, I've broken all of these in our covenant, but I look unto Christ now. We take the Lord's Supper. This is my body, so we remember Christ died for our sins. He died for your sins if you are a Christian. And you no longer bear them. Your conscience is not guilty and your sins is thrown away. And even in a minute, Jeremiah is going to lead us and he will hold us fast. Well, we'll, be, we'll hear that in a few minutes as we take the Lord's Supper. But how are we doing, brothers and sisters? So as we take the Lord's Supper... If you say, yes, I've sinned, well, then repentance, look unto him who takes your sin. And when you think about this, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is what we remember. So with that in mind, if you are visiting with us today, um, we, <laughs> let me just go ahead and put a little, what happened this morning while the, the tables are up here and some of you are rejoicing, as McCamey's probably pointed out a couple times already. A couple other folks, but we've been doing it since COVID to try to be a little bit cleaner and not have everybody touch and this and that. And so our cups that you open up, you know, and you've got the, the juice and then the wafer, we found out they're, they're, they were faulty this morning. So Abigail and McKamey took off to the grocery store with the bridge out. Didn't think about that. Off and, and got the things. And so now we're, for today, and we may continue this, we'll talk about this as elders, but we're going to go back. We decided that having someone go get it and bring it over, we might have a mess all over the floor, and that probably wouldn't be good today. So we brought them back up. So we'll do that. Um, you can be reasonable about that like we used to do it in rows, but if a couple rows want to come together, that's fine. Blaine will come up on this side and we'll give the Lord's Supper. If you are a not, not a Christian, if you're not a, <clears throat> a baptized believer in Christ, then we, don't, we, then we would ask you not to take the Lord's Supper. If you're visiting, we do op- practice open communion. If you're not under discipline, you're a baptized believer in Christ, you're not under discipline from another church, you're welcome to come take the Lord's Supper. You don't have to, but if you are, please come and do that. Um, I think that covers everything that I usually cover.
And so with that in mind, um, let's just take a moment in silence, and, and then I will um, lead us in a prayer. And with the change in how we're doing things, I might have to think about this a minute, but then I'll make my way over, and we'll, we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, thank you. We are such great sinners. Yet your mercy in Christ is so much more. Your grace and your mercy abound so much more. It's not as if we have ten sins, tens and you cover eleven. We have millions and the covering is infinite. Because the death of our Lord was an infinite death that required an infinite sacrifice to cover all of our sins. So, Father, we give thanks today for the gospel of Christ, even as we think about how the Lord's Supper unites us in what we believe and unites us in how we love one another. We pray that you would just give us grace. What a privilege. We do this until the Lord Jesus comes back. So this, this morning, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.